you with us for the ministry of God's word. Acts chapter 9, reading from verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to tick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Amen. We know that God will bless his word to our hearts. Let's seek the Lord for prayer. Father in heaven, we come into your presence. We pray for the work of God today. We think of the work of God in India, which we have been instructed to pray from our calendar. We pray for those that serve you in that great land, and we pray you would bring about an awakening, build up your churches in that nation. We pray for ourselves today as we come to think about your word. Speak to our hearts, challenge our souls. For Christ's sake, amen. Verse number 6 of Acts chapter 9, we have a question. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? This is one of the preparation messages that the Lord has given to me with the gospel mission in mind. And as I continually stress, a gospel mission is an opportunity, yes, for those that are unconverted to come and hear the gospel. When there is that special focus upon the gospel, night after night, an opportunity, a solemn opportunity for souls to hear the Word of God and to come to Christ. But it is also a solemn opportunity for the, the people of God because it renews our focus and it ought to renew our vision. And it does give us new opportunities to reach people with the gospel. But we need to be in the right place with God in order that we might be used. Because this time could pass us by too. And we will not have used that for Jesus Christ. And so we need to have a spirit of surrender as we approach the gospel mission. And here we have a question a very important question that Saul of Tarsus asked, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Will that prayer come from our hearts today? From your heart? From mine? What wilt thou have me to do? The conversion of Saul of Tarsus was the most dramatic conversion in all of history. Augustine of Hippo, the great and illustrious early father of the church, he described the conversion of Saul of Tarsus as being the violent capture of a stubborn will. Never was there a man so stubbornly opposed to the gospel, so violently opposed to the gospel, 
a man who even had the blood of God's people on his hands. But God dramatically stopped him, intervened. He fell of the horse, face crushed against the dust, and he was humbled in the presence of God. And when he was converted, he asked two questions. What was the first question? Because the two questions, they come together. Without one, there could not have been another. The first question was, who art thou, Lord? And the second question was, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And if we are to ask this second question from our own hearts, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Well, we need to ask the first question, who art thou, Lord? We need to know God. If we don't know the Lord, we won't be able to ask the Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Saul asked the question, who art thou, Lord? He asked the question as a man who was humbled in the presence of God. The light of God's glory was shining round about him. His eyes were blinded. His bright spirit was humiliated. And within that context, he asked the most needful question that any of us could ever ask. Who art thou, Lord? He wanted to know God. The Lord revealed himself to Saul of Tarsus, not merely through words, and he did speak to him through words, but he revealed himself to Saul's heart. That glory that shone round about Saul came right into his heart. It is true that we will not have the same experience as Saul of Tarsus, but then each one of us have our own different experiences. But what is true universally of all Christians is this. The glory of God comes to our hearts. In 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6, Paul said, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God causes this light to shine in the heart. The glory of God shining in the heart. And whenever Saul, in the midst of this brilliant brightness of God's glory, as he was humbled and humiliated and with his face pressed against the dust, the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. I am Jesus. He was brought face to face with Jesus Christ. We need to be humbled before the presence of God in order that we might be useful servants for Him. If we are not prepared to humble ourselves in God's presence, we will not be used by God. If we are preoccupied with ourselves, we will not be used by God. We need the proud spirit to be humiliated in God's presence. We need God to come and deal with our hearts in order that we might ask this question properly. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? It's all right asking this question. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? But it's another thing to ask the question properly from a sincere soul. And it's only those that have experienced the presence of God. The more God reveals himself to us, the more we will want to give to him.
prayerful preparation is what we need today. Let us think about these words, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? It was, first of all, a prayer. It was a prayer of total surrender. Saul held nothing back here. He was a new convert, just saved. Let no one say, this prayer is not for me. It's all right for the preacher in the pulpit. It's all right for the missionary in the field. It's all right for the elder in the church. But it's not for me. If you think like that, then you've missed what sanctification is all about. Here was a, a man just saved, a newborn child in Christ. And yet he said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And he meant it. Every part of my life is, is yours now, Lord. I want you to take possession, every aspect of my life. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Alan Redpath said, The conversion of the soul is the miracle of a moment. The manufacture of the saint is the work of a lifetime. There's an awful lot of truth in that. Yes, it is good to be saved. We can look back to that time and to that moment and to that place where the Lord saved us. We were born again of the Spirit of God. It was the miracle of a moment. But then the Holy Spirit comes and works in our lives through the rest of our allotted span. And we don't know how many years we have left, but I know this. God has a purpose in keeping us alive, and it's for His glory. He has a purpose in giving us these years. It's for His honor, in order that we might be totally surrendered to Him. And every part of our lives, everything that we experience, everything we pass through, every aspect, things that God permits, things that God allows to happen, we don't always understand it, we can't grasp it, but God's using it for His own purpose in order that we might be totally surrendered to Him. And yes, Saul of Tarsus began this walk of being transformed by God's grace with this prayer, Lord, wilt thou, what wilt thou have me to do? He showed a willingness to be taught. He knew he needed to learn something. He needed to learn something from God. He didn't know everything. In fact, he was acknowledging his understanding was so limited. A man of tremendous learning, of great ability. And yet he realized that he had so much to learn. Lord, what would thou have me to do? We have so much to learn. So many lessons to be taught. That's why we need to ask this prayer. He was a soldier awaiting orders. In later life, he would write to the Ephesians. He would talk about the Christian soldier. He would talk about the armor of the Christian soldier. He would use the illustration of the Roman soldier and the, the garments, the dress, the sword of that soldier, the footwear of that soldier, and he would liken it to the Christian soldier. But of course, a soldier must be disciplined. And the church is an army, an army under marching orders to go forward for the great captain and general of God's salvation. There needs to be discipline in the Lord's army. We are soldiers awaiting orders. He had a belief in the personal will of God. He knew God had a purpose for him. God had saved him. And he hadn't saved him in modern parlance just to sit in a pew somewhere. God hasn't saved you just to sit in a pew on a Sunday. 
That's part of it. That's where we grow. That's where we learn. Then you take the things that you've been learning, and you put it into practice tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And if you haven't learned that, then you've missed the Christian life. You've missed the whole experience of walking with God. We're not spectators. We are a people who have a purpose, saved for a purpose. And God has a personal, a very personal purpose and plan for each of us. And you need to be praying that you're in that plan every day. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? He knew he needed to personally obey. There was personal obedience bound up in this prayer. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Nobody else can obey for me, and nobody else can obey for you. It's a very personal thing. Our lives before God. We need to be in that place where we personally obey God. Too many and too often we are preoccupied with others. Too many preoccupied with others. Too, too often we are preoccupied with others. It happens all the time. What's this person doing? What's that person doing? What's this person not doing? What's that person not doing? Why are they not at the prayer meeting? You're there. You're there to do a purpose for God. Therefore, we are to think about ourselves. Be in the right place individually ourselves. Personal obedience. Unconditional obedience. He was holding nothing back here. And that's the thing that we get over and over. He wanted to unconditionally obey. So there was the request, first of all. He was holding nothing back in the request, but he was also saying whenever he would obey, the obedience would be unconditional. Whatever you want me to do, Lord, that's, that's a massive thing, isn't it? Massive thing. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. That's a big, big request of, to make of God. And of course, we must be careful at making those kinds of requests because if the Lord comes and asks you to do something and you decide to hold back, there'll be a chastening associated with that. And some have experienced that. There was a willingness to be changed. He knew he needed to be changed. He knew he had so much to learn, and in learning those new lessons, his life would never be the same again. The prayer of total surrender. Read a little, little paragraph from Leonard Ravenhill this week, Why Revival Tarries. There's a chapter called Prayer. Prayer grasps eternity. No man is greater than his prayer life. The pastor who is not praying is playing. The people who are not praying are straying. The pulpit can be a shop window to display one's talents. The prayer closet allows no showing off. Poverty stricken as the church is today in many things, she is most stricken here in the place of prayer. We have many organizers, but few agonizers. Prayer is the one part of our activity, if we can call it an activity, that grasps eternity. This week gives us an opportunity to, to grasp eternity. We need to make use of it. And with this prayer, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? It was a prayer that produced prayer. Paul was kept waiting for this answer to prayer. The Lord didn't tell him instantly. 
what he would have to do. He would be led into the city of Damascus, and there he would be called upon to wait. And he had to wait in blindness for three days until he would learn what he would have to do. But during those three days, what did he do? Verse 11 tells us what he did. This man, Ananias, who was called to go to Saul, was told by God, at the end of verse 11, behold, he prayeth. He spent the next three days praying. As he prayed this prayer, what wilt thou have me to do? The first lesson he learned was he had to wait on God. Now, God just doesn't automatically give you everything immediately. You have to learn with patience to wait on God. And perhaps you have a prayer in your heart and in your soul, a burden that you feel today. And you've had it for a long time, and the burden hasn't been lifted. And God perhaps hasn't shown you what the answer is going to be, and he hasn't directed you. And what are you to do in that situation? Well, if you have truly asked, Lord, what will they have me to do? You'll keep waiting on God with patience. And perhaps you're longing for a loved one that's out of Christ, and you've prayed for them for a very long time. Someone in your family, and they're, they're not right with God. Somebody backslidden, perhaps, and you've prayed, and what's the Lord asking you to do? To, do, to keep praying. And this week, it, it should inspire you to keep praying to God, waiting upon God, pleading with God. It was a, a great description of Saul of Tarsus, early life as a Christian. It was the sign that grace had truly begun in his heart. Behold, he prayeth. The fact even that we want to pray, that we feel our need of prayer, that we mourn over our lack of prayer, that we recognize that prayer is important, it's a sign of grace. We all know we shouldn't pray. We all know that that we don't pray as much as we should. And we all feel a failure in the place of prayer. And, and that's how it should be, because the person who thinks, oh, I, I'm a great prayer warrior, well, that person's not a prayer warrior because they're filled with pride. And so it is an encouraging thing whenever we feel that sense of weakness. But of course, when there are special prayer gatherings as we are having, that is there to strengthen us and to help us and to inspire us to greater prayer, and to hold on to God for all of those unanswered requests. Because God has a purpose in all of that. Prayer produces praying. And as we begin praying this week, may it lead us into more prayer, and more prayer, and more waiting upon God, and more holding on to God, more seeking of the Lord. And we need all of that. And then, in the third place, it was a prayer that moved others. You see, without a Saul of Tarsus, there would not have been an Ananias. And without an Ananias, there would not have been a Saul of Tarsus. The, the two men's lives were providentially brought together. And Ananias had been waiting with the believers in Damascus, and he was terrified at the arrival of this awful man, Saul of Tarsus, coming with these letters from the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem, intending to have the Christians in Damascus slaughtered, incarcerated, wiped out, exterminated. Saul of Tarsus was a man to be absolutely afraid of. And then along comes God in a vision in verse 10, and he says, Ananias, and Ananias says, Behold, I am here, Lord. 
I suppose that was Ananias' way of saying, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? But the Lord had something for Ananias to do that horrified the man. Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. And what did Ananias say in verse 13? I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints in Jerusalem, and here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. Lord, you can ask me to do many a thing, but don't ask me to go to that man. Ananias was in some ways doubting that God could ever have saved Saul of Tarsus. But Ananias, too, had his special experience with God as God moved upon his heart and transformed him and brought him to that place of surrender where he would go to Saul of Tarsus. And Ananias really is the forgotten hero in the whole story because he was a man that was particularly moved. was a little bit like someone that is our, our fiercest enemy, and they get saved. Somebody that means to take our lives, and they get saved, converted. We must go to that person, and we must show that compassion, and show that forgiveness even, and show that love, because God instructs us so to do. God breaks down the barriers, and it was God's grace that did it. God's grace broke down these barriers, these two men were brought together. Ananias was taken out of his comfort zone. We need taken out of our comfort zones. There are barriers that hinder us in reaching souls with the gospel. We need to pray that God would take these barriers down, barriers of our own hearts, of our own thinking, barriers in our own logical reasoning that's so twisted. The Lord couldn't work in that person, in that area. The Lord couldn't change that life. I don't want to go and ask that person to come. I, I feel I couldn't do that. And yet God's challenging you to do that. The barriers need to be taken down. You see, because Saul of Tarsus prayed, Lord, will, what wilt thou have me to do? That was the catalyst that brought Ananias out to serve God as well. As God began to work on one man's life, he started to work in another man's life. And that's how God moves sometimes. He works in the hearts of various people. Inspiring one person leads to another. Your prayer can inspire someone else to pray. Who will inspire someone else to pray? Who will inspire someone else to surrender? And they might do more than we will ever do, but yet it all comes back to our prayers, however we despise them, because God is working, God is moving. I think of David Brainard. David Brainard was a young man who died. He was only 27, 28 years of age. He was a missionary to the North American Indians. He had an exceptional passion for those Indians, a burden for them. He was noted to be a young man of unusual prayer, it is said that he would go out into the snow and he would pray. And the intensity of his prayers were such that the snow around him would melt. Such was the passion coming from his body as he cried unto God. And yet God took that precious life into his presence at such a 
young age. Why would God do such a thing? Somebody with such potential who could have been used so mightily. Yet God took that young man away. And yet that young man, he did more in just a, a short ministry than many men do in a lifetime. And he continued to inspire. A man called Payson, Edward Payson, was inspired by David Brainard. It was Edward Payson who wrote something that I read over 25 years ago. I have never forgotten it. Edward Payson said that the Lord's in the center of the church. And there are three circles of believers around the Lord. The innermost circle are the people that are closest to the Lord, and, and they're working away and doing God's work. And, but they bring the work up, and they do God's work in the very light of the Lord's face. And everything they do, they never take their eyes of the Lord. It's all for His glory. And then there's a middle circle of Christians, and they are facing the Lord, and the light of His glory is shining upon them, but, but their work's here, and they're looking down all the time doing their work. And every so often they look back to the Lord, and they see that He's there, and then they carry on. And then there's an outer circle of Christians, and they're actually standing sideways to the Lord, and they're working away. And very infrequently they look up to the Lord. On which circle are we? The truth is, all too often we're standing sideways, aren't we? We're preoccupied with so many other things, and we find but little time for looking to Jesus. Other times, perhaps we make it to the innermost circle, and, but still our heads are down. How often do we gather everything that we do and bring it up and work away in the light of the Lord's face? That has been a great challenge, a great encouragement to many people. If it wasn't for David Brainard, there never would have been that. And there were others too. Robert Murray McShane, who also died a very young man, 28, 29 years of age. His life has been such a blessing to so many Christians, and yet God took him away. He was inspired by David Brainard. John Wesley was deeply inspired by David Brainard also. And so you see how one man's surrender brought blessing to so many others. Knowing God, serving God, giving ourselves to the Lord, it's infectious. It reaches others and will reach others. This was a prayer that God answered. God told Saul what he would need to do, but God told him through Ananias. And Ananias came to him in the verse 17. He said, Brother Saul, and Saul received this commission that he would bear God's name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. It was a prayer that God answered. I'll promise you something on the grounds of God's Word, that if you truly come to God with that open heart and say, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Totally surrendered, holding nothing back, giving the Lord your all, God will answer that. He won't hold back. Might not do it just when you're expecting, but he'll do it. The answer will come. And I have no doubt, but there's a work for every single Christian to do during the course of this mission. Every person there's a work for you. But you need to pray. God will show it to you. And that's why this week of prayer is so important. 
This was a prayer that transformed Europe. You think of how Paul would go to the Gentiles. You think of how he would cross the, the sea into Europe. You think of the churches that were formed in Europe. You think of how he would be a pioneer planting churches across the continent of which we're still a part. You think of how that gospel would come eventually to these shores, to Britain, to Ireland. It would all come from this man's ministry all because one man prayed, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? It is a false sense of humility to say, I can do nothing. That's wrong. You can do something. There's something for you to do. Yes, you're right, you can't do it, but don't ever underestimate what God can do through you. Never underestimate that. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Let's bow for prayer. Father in heaven, we pray you would write this word upon our hearts. Give us that spirit of dedication and surrender to God. Give us that spirit whereby we will have our eyes firmly fixed toward Jesus. 